Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, we have been talking about money the last couple of weeks, and uh, we're continuing our series this morning. And it really is a timely series. Uh, We didn't time it this way with the current economy in our nation, but it is timely uh, nonetheless um, because of our current economic situation and also because of all of the um, pressure and stress I think that we feel individually when it comes to our finances. But more importantly than both of those is what Jesus said. He said, our money is the number one competitor for our hearts. It is the one thing that pulls at us as much as God would. And so that's why we're talking about it, because it really has to do with our spiritual lives. And Jesus talked so much about it because of that. Now, in week one, we talked about the need to know where our money comes, where our money's going, okay? And just learning how to track, because you can't, you can't take it in a different direction if you don't even know where you are. And so we gave you an insert. We say, here's a tracking system. Take this home for the next couple of weeks. Save your receipts. Total them up each week, okay? And it does me a great deal of pain to see papers left behind on the chairs. And nobody's. <laughs> and you think, we're not serious about this. This is for your benefit. You cannot make any substantial changes unless you know at least where it's going now. And in week two, last week, we talked about this whole myth of more. Why it is that more never seems to be enough. And, and understanding that that's not, a, that's not an income issue, okay? That is a lifestyle issue. And it has to do with adjusting our lifestyles in such a way that we have a better understanding, not only of what we're taking in and where it's going, but what God would want to do with it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and it's going to qu- pro- ask you a question this morning that maybe you have never asked yourself. How does God view money? How is it that God views money? Now, again, if you're a guest this morning, um, if you would consider yourself maybe a spiritual seeker, and you're wondering, wow, why was this the Sunday I came, okay? <laughs> um, you know, please, let me... I, I know, I know every time a preacher gets up to talk about money, everybody thinks there's a big offering coming later. We will not do that, okay? Because this is not about what we can get from you. This is what Jesus wants to give to you, a better understanding, some timeless wisdom when it comes to handling your own finances. These are universal principles, which means they apply whether you are a believer or not. You don't have to be a believer to understand these principles, They just make sense because Jesus knew the human heart better than anyone. So this morning, we're going to take a look at this whole idea. How is it that God views money? And and very often when Jesus wanted to help people understand things, he told stories because he was trying to help them understand what the kingdom of God is like. And the only way to describe the kingdom of God was to take common everyday occurrences uh, to help explain what it was that he was trying to to get across to them, okay? So in Luke chapter 16, if you want to follow along in your Bibles there that are on the seats next to you, page 1036, um, this is one of the stories that Jesus told. Um, And he's trying to convey kingdom principles here, okay? He wants us to understand. Now, this, I'll tell you up front, this is probably the most perplexing of all of Jesus' parables, okay? These, all of the stories that Jesus told, this is the one that just seems to be the hardest to really understand. So, Track with me as we read it together. Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management 
because you cannot be my manager any longer. In other words, I've heard rumors about you that you're not doing a very good job managing my, my possessions. Okay, bring in the books. Print out the spreadsheet. I want to take a look. I want to see, is this true? If this is true, you can't be my manager any longer. I entrusted this stuff to you. So if you're not doing a good job, that's it. You're out of here. Verse 3, the manager then said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Comes up with a plan. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, here, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, here, take your bill, make it 800. You hear what he's doing? Yeah. He's, he's taking advantage. He doesn't have much time left, so he's going to do something about this. I've got to figure out. I, I, I'm going to lose my job. I can't go and dig ditches any. You know, I'm too, too old for that kind of stuff, and I'm too, I'm too proud to sit and beg. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. So here comes the end of the story, and you think, okay, now he's going to get it. Okay? Master's going to find out what's going on, and here it comes. Verse 8, the master commended. Commended? The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In the same sentence that he said two weeks ago we read, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, that is a real perplexing story because it almost sounds like Jesus is endorsing dishonesty. I mean, the master commended this dishonest servant. That doesn't make sense. What is Jesus trying to say or what is he trying to convey to us? He is trying to help us understand this is how God looks at money. Understand, when parables, when Jesus told these stories called parables, there, it was to, to lay alongside a common everyday occurrence to compare with what the kingdom of God. Sometimes they were for comparison. Sometimes they were for contrast. This one is one of contrast, okay? Jesus is not saying, go out, be as dishonest as you possibly can, make as much as you can from it, then we'll be good, okay? That's not what he's saying. But he is saying, I want you to understand how God looks at money. I want you to see how your heavenly father understands the money that you think you are carrying around as your own. And there's some really, really important lessons to learn here. And they're summarized towards the end of the story. And the point is this. When we see things as God sees them, we are more inclined to do what he says about them. And so it's really important for us to understand, how is it that God views money? And one of the things he says here is, when God looks at money, when God looks at your finances and your stuff, God views money and possessions as temporary. 
Now, that ought to be self-evident. Oh, yeah, we know that. Except most of us live as if that is not true. Most of us live as if this is all there is. It should be self-evident. This is just temporary stuff. It's not going to last. We know that up here. But we live as if that's not true. See, there's really two factors in this story. The first one is money. The owner realizes or hears rumored that his manager is misusing his funds. So he calls him. He says, give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Okay? The man has been wasting his owner's possessions. Okay? That's a money issue. But there's another issue involved here, and that's not quite as obvious. And it's in the second part of that. You cannot be my money manager any longer. The issue is time. The issue here is time. It is the second factor in the story. There is a crisis now. There's a crisis now. Whatever his management style had been up till now, no matter how lax or how un, you know, un, unspecific he had been in managing, all of a sudden, now his time is short, and that makes the difference. And so he says, what shall I do now? Okay, there's all these time words in here. What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when... Well, I do now so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. There's a time factor here. So he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, quickly. Why? Because he doesn't have much time. Sit down quickly and make it 400. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. You sure that's okay? Yeah, 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 you do it. Okay, well, I make it 400. Man, man, if it's anything I can ever do for you, someday you just let me know. I will. <laughs> I will. How much, Joe? Thousand bushels. Here, make it 800. Oh, you sure? Yeah, yeah, just make it 800. Wow, how can you do that? Don't worry about it, just make it 800. Wow, that is just, man, if there's ever anything I can ever do for you, you just let me know. Oh, yeah. I will. That's what he's doing. He has a little bit of time, and he knows his time is short. And if he's going to do anything, now is the time to do it. And that's the point. We need constant reminding that this life is temporary. Not only is it temporary, but it is brief. And we too readily lose our sense of the eternal. We forget how temporary this really is. We have this sense that life will always be the way that it is. It's just going to get bigger and better. That's what we expect. We have a right to deserve that. Get all I can out of it. Man, make it last. How many of you did some really stupid things when you were 16 years old that you would not do today? Anybody? Yeah, I can think of a, well, at least one. Why? Because when I was 16 years old, I had this sense of invincibility. You know, I, I did all kinds of crazy things, things I will not do now that I'm 54. Why? Because I know I'm not going to last. If I do that, I won't last much longer at all. And that's the deal. We have this sense, even as we get old, this sense of invincibility. It's always going to go on like this. 
And so we treat our life that way. And so the things that should be important, the things that really ought to matter, end up taking a back seat. This manager has been so lax in managing his master's money, he doesn't even know how much the debt is. Did you notice that? He asks the guy who owes the money, how much do you owe my master? Like he's going to get a straight answer on that one. 800 gallons of oil. It's really 1,200, but if you're asking, it's 800. He doesn't even know because it didn't matter to him because he thought he had this job forever. He thought that, that, that nothing, he could do whatever he wanted and it wasn't going to matter because he'd got job security. So, ah, whatever. And Jesus tells the story to make this point. And it's in the last, this last sentence in, in verse 8. He says, The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. What is he saying? He is saying that the people who don't believe in eternity, the people who think this is all that there is, the people who believe this life and all you can get out of it, that's all that there is to it, they are smarter when it comes to their finances than we who believe in eternity. Should not we, who have a better sense of what eternity is all about and how short and brief this life really is, shouldn't we be smarter than that? And that's what he's saying. The people who think this is all there is, they know how to take what they have and leverage it for their future. We, who have a better understanding that this life is brief, especially, especially compared to eternity, shouldn't we be smarter with our finances? John Ortberg writes about this in his book, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. It's a great book. We have it available at our resource center. He talks about the whole idea that really this whole life is doing nothing but playing with Monopoly money. Really? And he says this. He says, it's only stuff. Houses and hotels are the crowning jewels in Monopoly. But the moment the game ends, they go back in the box. So it is with all our stuff. Let's say you spend a week at a Motel 6. How likely would it be for you to take all of your money and spend it decorating your motel room? How probable is it that you would go out, clean out your bank account to purchase a Van Gogh or paintings of Elvis on velvet or whatever it is that your taste runs to? Not very. You wouldn't even be tempted because the hotel room is not your home. You're only there for a little while. It would be foolish to waste your treasure on your, of your one and only life on such a temporary residence. Smart players are clear on what lasts and what doesn't. So Jesus says to the wise, store up treasure that's eternal, God and people. This is Motel 6. Your room, your home and furniture and clothes and possessions will last the equivalent of a few seconds compared to the eternity that will be occupied by your soul. It's not bad to stay in a place and enjoy it while you're there, but Jesus says, don't store up your treasure in Motel 6. It's not your home. You're only going to be here a little while. If you're going to stay up nights dreaming, dream about something better than how to upgrade your motel room. Jesus says it's all temporary. And if you don't realize that, you just go along with business as usual. You just keep going as if this is it. 
Man, we who believe in eternity ought to be smarter than that because it's only temporary. And when you begin to understand how brief and how temporary it is and how limited our opportunities are, then we're better able to understand the second lesson, which is this, that God views our money, money and possessions as a tool. They are a tool. There is a sense of urgency. Now that this guy knows he only has a few hours, maybe a day, in this job, that his time is limited, all of a sudden there is a sense of urgency about how he is handling his master's money. And so what he does is he comes up with a plan. Faced with the reality of how things were, he took action. He says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. What he's decided is he will use what little time he has left to leverage it for his future. I've only got a few hours. I've only got a few moments, maybe a day at the most. I got to make an accounting and before I bring the books in, man, I better make myself look a little bit better and I better make sure that I take care of these people so that they'll be there for me when I lose my job. He knew that he only had a short amount of time and so in that short amount of time, make the most of it. Leverage it for your future. What's interesting is he didn't think about his future, his future until it really mattered. Now, all of a sudden, he cares about it. So he comes up with this plan. He's going to restructure the debt. I wonder where our government got that idea. <laughs> How much do you owe? Okay, well, we'll just write it down. But that's what he does. And by the way, these are not insignificant debts. Okay, a little historical background. Usually the wealthy were the landowners. And what they would do is lease out their land. And they would just take a portion of the proceeds. You know, if it was, a, if it was an olive vineyard, then they, they would get the, the olive oil. That's how they would get paid. If it was a, um, a, a field for grain, they would get a portion of the grain. And so when he goes and he asks them how much they owe, these are not insignificant amounts. How much olive oil do you owe? 800 gallons. That's a lot of oil. That's the equivalent of about 15 bathtubs full. Goes to the guy with the grain. How much do you owe? A thousand bushels. That's 39 tons of grain. It is the equivalent of the produce and the yield of 100 acres of land. This debt has been accumulating for a while. And his absentee landlord all of a sudden realized the guy that was supposed to be taking care of all this stuff has not. And the debt has grown huge. Now you read some Bible commentators and some scholars and they're trying to make sense of this because this is a really hard thing to understand. And they're thinking, well, you know, Jesus wouldn't talk about dishonesty. He wouldn't endorse dishonesty. So, so let's see if we can find out how they did this, okay? And, and there, there's some legitimacy to, legitimacy to it. Um, a landowner um, gave his steward the oversight over the land, but then he was, he was able to extract a commission out of that. That's how he got paid, okay? So part of what they're saying is, well, maybe, maybe he had just not collected his commission and he decided at the last minute, okay, I just won't take the commission. I'll just take what really belongs to my master. That's a stretch. Some suggest, well, maybe he was overcharging all along and now he'd put it down to the real price. Maybe. Some suggest, well, maybe he's just decided, you know what? Something is better than nothing. If I can get something, at least that'll get me in good graces with my owner, and it'll certainly get me in good graces with the guys that I've reduced the debt on. 
thing is, we don't really know. Because that's really not the point. The point is to leverage what you have now for your eternal future. That's the point. That's the whole point. That's what Jesus says. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. That's the New Living Translation, or the, the New Living Translation version. NIV puts it this way. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. In other words, he says, use what you have now to build friendships and to bring people into eternity because they are eternal beings as well. Leverage what you have now for eternity. Use it as a tool. Money and possessions are tools for eternity. Use what you have to bring your friends into God's kingdom. That's what he's saying. And so it comes down to starting to think a little bit differently about my own finances. And one of the questions we should be asking ourselves is, how can I restructure my own finances? How can I rework my own finances to better serve the kingdom of God? If I just have it for this little bit of time, then how can I use it for God's kingdom? How could I rework my own finances so there would be more for God's kingdom? How could I use my minivan to serve God's kingdom? How could I open up my home in such a way as to use my home to better serve God's kingdom? How could I use my hobbies and my interests and the friends that I make through those things to better fill God's kingdom? How could I use my Raider tickets? No, we were talking about things of value. I'm sorry. Oh. For those of you who are Raiders fans, insert Niners tickets. They're the same thing, okay? The idea is how do I use my worldly wealth for the sake of God's kingdom? Because that's the real issue. Jesus said it's a tool. It's a tool for you to use to better eternity for your friends. And the truth is, most of us in this room, not all of us, but most of us in this room could ratchet down our lifestyle a couple of notches and would not notice much of a difference at all. We could ratchet it down two or three notches and hardly be phased by it. Inside your program, there's an insert. The last two weeks, we've been asking, okay, start tracking where it's going because you won't be able to go anywhere until you know where it is now, okay? This one is a little different. Where would you like it to go? How would you restructure your finances in such a way that God's kingdom could grow? How could you restructure your possessions in such a way that God's kingdom could be advanced? To do this, you need a plan. You will not do it casually on your own. The money manager had to come up with a plan. He knew his time was short. He had a little bit of an opportunity. He had to do something while he had the time. You have to have a plan. If you do not have a plan, it will not happen. 
And so this is a little bit different than you when you, yeah, you, I gave you the last couple of weeks because in each one of those, there's a box there about percentages. And just ask, what, how much could I cut back in this area of my life? How could I ratchet down in this particular area? How could I reduce the percentage of my income as outgo for God's kingdom? Now, I will tell you up front, folks, this, you, you have to have a plan, and then you need to stick with it. And you learn by doing it. I have people tell me all the time, I wish I could give more. I wish I was more generous. I would love to take a short-term mission to Uganda. I would love to visit Peru with, for, with Hope for Kids. I would love to do something like that. I just don't have the funds. You have the funds you just don't have the real desire because you do what you want to do. And Jesus says, this is a tool for you to use for my kingdom's sake. And so you start up front with a plan. And the first thing in the plan is to give. And, and by the way, this is not just for Christians. This is not just for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. I meet with couples all the time in premarital counseling, and we go over finances. And whether they're church attenders or not, I tell you, you need to set aside a portion of your income to give. Because if you don't, you will always live on the edge. And you need to be reminded, this is not just all your stuff. And if you don't want to give to a church, that's fine with me, but give somewhere. And again, I know, I know, I know I'm getting pushed back. Because <laughs> some of you are thinking, well, yeah, 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 you just want more money for the church. Here, don't give it here. Give it some other church. You will be a blessing to some pastor who will just weep his eyes out because somebody who doesn't even go to his church gave. <laughs> this is for your benefit. And I will tell you, this, you have to learn this. You have to learn this. It does not come natural because that whole myth of more we talked about last week is always eating away at you. Let me tell you how it works out in our own life. When Betty and I first got married, the one thing we both agreed on, very first thing, when we sat down with our finances, we would always give to God first. Tithe, 10%, whatever we made, and we didn't make very much, but whatever we made, the first 10% goes to the work of God. Bare minimum, because that's His and that reminds me, it's all his. Over the years, we have learned to give more. About 24, 25 years ago, the church we were a part of had a building fund campaign. And I've been in building fund campaigns ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had to pray about, okay, where are we going to ratchet down our lifestyle to be able to give above and beyond 10%? And we started doing that. And then the next time around, about three years later, we realized, you know what? We've done that, and it seemed so hard at the beginning. That's up in a piece of cake. And in fact, we have more income now than we did. And so the church ran another building program. Yeah. But here's the deal. Each time we prayerfully considered what we could do to ratchet down our lifestyle to be able to give more to God's kingdom. And we have never suffered because of it. 
And I will tell you, there was a point when we moved from that building program to a church that didn't even have a building and we were having church in our living room <laughs> and we took a substantial cut in pay. I mean substantial with the only guarantee of six months. And after that, you're on your own. I said, we're still going to give. God is taking care of us. Then a few years ago, one of our nephews had the sense that God was calling him into full-time ministry. He wanted to go to work with Campus Crusade for Christ down at UCLA. And he had to raise his own funds. He came to us. He said, would you sponsor me? It's like, oh gosh, here we go again. <laughs> but we chose to do that. And we have chosen other ministries besides what we give to our own church. We have chosen other ministries because we believe in building God's kingdom. And about three or four years ago, Tom Megan came through. He talked about the need for orphans in Uganda whose parents had both died because of AIDS epidemic there. We said, okay, we need to give to that. Because like, $26 a month could take care of a kid for that whole month. His schooling, his clothing, his food, everything. And I spend that much at Starbucks or, or rags every, every week. We could cut back there. And then the next year I went to Uganda. Now we got another kid. <laughs> and then we started getting letters from our kids and, and one of them, he's like, it's like 12 years old I think at the time. But his letters were so hard to read, and he was writing like he was a first grader. And I just thought, you know, he's going to have to be better equipped for this to make it in the world. So last year we decided how much extra would it cost to put him in a private school? Because he's in a school with 50 kids of varying age groups, and varying understanding level. What would it cost to put him in a private boarding school? And it was substantial, but nothing that would break us, so we did that. And we took on another kid at the same time. <laughs> and, and I'm not telling you this stuff to pat myself on the back and say, see, see how good I am at this? This has been hard every time. But we made decisions. And we figured out, how are we going to make it work? We will ratchet down our lifestyle so that we can make a difference in somebody else's life for eternity. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Your stuff, your money, your possessions, they are tools. They are tools. And when you give, all you are doing is exemplifying your Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes... He became poor. Now, I'm not even close to poor. But when you give, you are taking on the character of your Lord and Savior. You are putting other people first. You are putting his kingdom first. And when you do that, everything else falls much better into place. And the reason this is so important my time is almost up. 
So we're going to rush through this last one. The reason it's so important is because ultimately, ultimately, God views money and possessions as a trust. It is not your stuff. It is not my money. I am a trustee. You are a trustee. We are stewards. We are managers. We are the manager of our master's resources. And if we don't understand how short we have this and why he gave it to us and that it's really put into our hands as a trust, we will never get this right. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. What Jesus is saying is, don't be like this guy. Don't go through your life thinking you've got plenty of time and plenty of resources and it really doesn't matter because the master's not paying attention anyway. Don't be like this guy. Don't come to the realization of how important this stuff is until it's too late. Don't come to the end of your life with nothing but regret because I could have given more. I could have loved more. I could have been better at managing. It's a trust. And Jesus says the little things count. Whoever can be trusted with little. And he goes on, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? I will say this and hear it clearly because we talk here a lot about helping unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you this flat out. You cannot be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ and keep aside this whole arena of your life called possessions and money. You cannot. Because Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot, you cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. Every purchase is a spiritual decision. Every donation is a spiritual decision. Every investment is a spiritual decision. You can't keep the one separate from the other and think, that it doesn't matter because you cannot be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ and continue to withhold this area of your life. Might just leave it with that. (laughs) Except to say this. This will be a lifelong learning process. Learning faith, learning trust, learning obedience. And I'm not saying this like I have never made any mistakes. Oh, man. If I had another hour, I'd give you half of them. (laughs) But I do know this, that if there is anything that our current economic state in our country is telling us is there is only one God worth serving. If there is any lesson that we ought to be taking from the financial meltdown that is happening not only in our country but around the world is if you serve money, that is a losing bet because it is not worth trusting something that can disappear like that. Only God is worth serving. Only God. And when you get that one right, and you begin to see your money and your possessions the way God sees them, you are more likely to do as he says when it comes to them.
that make sense? And not so much. Yeah. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.